Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Today on Going Off Track, straight out of the animation world and the comedy realm comes Eugene Merman. We're super psyched to have him here. Uh, you know him from Bob's Burgers, Delocated, Comedy Discs, uh, his current Wasn't record. Wasn't he on Flight of the Concords? Yeah, he was on Flight of the yeah. Concords. He played the landlord, yeah. I think. Um, he's done all kinds of great stuff. He's just a funny, funny dude. Met him a million years ago at Fuse where he had to <laughs> rebut jokes by Republican comedians. <laughs> that's amazing he kept sitting there going it's hard to rebut jokes i don't know how to do this but he was really really funny and super cool um we're very happy to have him with us today i thought all republicans were comedians aren't they kind of mm. it's so annoying I, there was uh, there's i watched this documentary the other night about all the president's men like one of my favorite movies and it was i guess um anniversary so that Robert Redford talking with Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein. And they interviewed John Stewart. He went, you know, by today, today's standards, Nixon would be kind of a moderate Democrat. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> he would be a little more. So or maybe true. even a liberal, depending. Because he started the EPA. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like people don't. Like Richard Nixon did more for the environment than any president. You know. Well, it's kind of weird. It was pretty fascinating that this. Um, uh. Uh, Rachel Maddow was talking about how every president says that each president gets more and more imperialistic and has more executive powers. And like, we're, I'm going to give some of those back. Like, I don't want them. Like, even Obama said, you know what, I'm going to, you know, Bush took too much power. I'm going to give that back. And as soon as they take office, they're, no. <laughs> it's my power. Bring it to me. I will. The I dark will, side. I will make war with whoever I like and blow up people with robots. Hey, dude, you only get four years, you know, to fucking blow people dude, up. I heard a so. statistic today, and this is pretty crazy. Drone strikes under Bush, it was like 52. Oh, yeah. Obama, it's like 300-something. Oh, yeah. But also, you know, it's true. The technology is so much. They probably had, like, not as many back then. The technology wasn't as good. But There's more kids playing Gears of War now that they can use to do it and not tell them that people are actually dying. Yeah, that's true. What do you think, Jamie Kilstein? It'd be amazing if he just, like, he, he, felt, this, he, felt, the dis- he felt the disturbance. Like, I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> I love that dude. But, yeah, it's very, it was very fascinating. Also, I realized while watching it how... You know, some people are like into like certain parts of history and like, I like Civil War, like World War II stuff. I was watching it going, I've seen all the president's men so many times. I'm a Watergate nerd. <laughs> like, that's not even cool to you anybody. Do, do you go to reenactments? 
I, I so many Watergate. I've broken into so many bathrooms and tried to bug them, and then I have like, "Hey, catch me!" Oh, your security guard. Oh no, thanks. Who wants to go to Bob's Big Boy? That's where everybody ends up. Now I'm from Northern Virginia, where there are tons of Civil War reenactments. You know who's a big Civil War reenactor guy? No, we all know him. Eugene Merman. No, <laughs> Brian Baker. Oh yeah, no yeah. Way. Minor Threat, Bad Religion. He has like an actual like really yeah like an actual Civil War uh, outfit. That's scary. Super into it. <laughs> God, people are diehard into the Civil War. Uh, speaking of Civil Wars, I have no segue for yeah. that. Yeah, I guess today Eugene Merman. It's going on. So sitting in front of us right now is Mr. Eugene Merman. Hello. Right on. Thank you for coming. Sure. Thanks for having me. Of course. It's like, you know, comedian, voiceover artist. Uh, You have your own comedy festival. Yes. Which I love to death. I remember when that started a few years ago, reading about it. I was like, this is genius. (laughs) Perfect. Someone started. Um, But how did you get started in the whole comedy vein? Um, I started, I mean, I I did stand up for the first time the summer after high school. And then when I went to college, I went to Hampshire College in Western Mass and Amherst where you could design your own majors. So I designed comedy as a major and would do stand-up and then, you know, did a paper on like the physiology of laughter and like all like did a radio show and studied like rise of mass culture and writing and film and all this different stuff and then put it together into a one-hour stand-up act as a thesis. So my final project uh, was a one-hour stand-up act. And then from there, I moved to Boston and just started doing stand-up and kept doing it. And then I think as long as you don't have like a, anything to fall back on, you'll, it'll be fine. That's amazing. <laughs> I actually almost went to Hampshire and I went to orientation there. And I remember them being like, this person built a bridge. Like yeah. There were like three level. There weren't grades. Yeah, yeah. But- it was division one, two, and three. So the for division one, like you do like something for social science and, and humanities and natural science in these different schools. So for social science, I did a paper on Lenny Bruce and his effect on culture. For, I think, humanities, I did something on, like, the probably philosophy of comedy or something like that and uh, made up a bunch of dumb German terms. Uh, What? And then then for (laughs) science, I did the physiology of laughter. And then there's division two, which is, like, a concentration. So for that, I, you know, took a lot of different classes, like acting and writing and history and sociology. And then, uh, but then also I did things like I had a weekly radio show. I had a humor column. And so all that stuff went into a concentration. And then for the third level, you do a final project. And that was me running a weekly comedy show and then turning it into a one-hour stand-up act that I promoted and wrote and produced and stuff. Wow, what got so you? it was really great. So I loved it. I yeah. mean, I think Hampshire was amazing for me. I mean, and some people, you know, will do something amazing or build something great. And then, right. you know, a lot of people also used to drop out. I think it's better now. I think more people stick around. I was worried about like transferring if i didn't because there were no grades and then i was worried i wasn't motivated enough when i was 18 that that's i think that probably the the thing that's hardest in terms of like transferring and all that stuff i think a huge percentage of hampshire grads go on to go to like grad school and get like masters and phds i think if you actually graduate you're in a really great position but a lot of people are just like, I, I can't figure this is hard (laughs) and like not hard like it's undoable just hard like uh, hard to manage as a 19, 20, 21 year old, like putting things together. But if you do, it's really great. 
So you graduated. I graduated with a degree in comedy, as anyone could. <laughs> what, um, Finally putting my Bachelor of Arts to good use. Yeah, man. Unlike so many others. You I've fools. Never, it's true, man. So true. I've never used mine. My mom always likes to say, I have a master's. I, I'm a receptionist at a preschool. You, you probably use yours. You probably did something vaguely that led to this. No, I studied theater. To, I was going to yeah, be a director. Well, podcasting is, the, is audio theater. It really is. <laughs> I'm uh, trying. Well, you, you do. <laughs> you do great audio theater. I got. Um, let's see. Uh, Lucy, daughter of the devil, is one of my favorite favorite mm-hmm. shows. Um, it's just genius. Um, how did you get from comedy into voiceover work? Well, I used to live in Boston with Brendan Small, and we did comedy uh, every you know week at at the Comedy Studio, which is on the third floor of the Hong Kong Restaurant in Harvard Square. And Dr. Katz was a show in Boston at the time, and Lauren Bouchard, who created Lucy, who created Bob's Burgers, would come there with often, often when people came to do Dr. Katz, like Louis C.K. or Ron Lynch or whoever, they'd come and perform at the at the comedy studio, and then me and Brendan would be performing there. And then from that, uh, Lauren and Brendan developed home movies, and I did that, and sort of had known Lauren. And so when Lucy... Uh, when Lucy became a show, he had, you know, he, he had cast everybody before the show was sort of made. And then same with Bob's, you know, so Laura, it's sort of Lauren helming these things. Yeah. But they, um, the way he does it, it isn't, I don't want to say traditional cause I don't know what that means, but an animation where you're not sitting in a room recording all your parts. Is, would you say we, more- we record all together, which yeah. is unusual. I mean, as much as we can. Um, and we're on an ISDN line. So we have headphones, um, that, that like we have headphones and we can hear LA and New York and hear each other. So we're all doing it live together, wow. which is, I think, uncommon. Though I don't know because I haven't done. I mean, I've mostly worked with Lauren on cartoons. <laughs> so even um, Lucy, Daughter of the Devil, was like that. Was all yeah, together. yeah. We were all together in a little studio. Yep. Wow. Radio play esque. Bob yeah. Burgers is, I think, the best cartoon on right now. Thank it's you. So damn funny, and uh, I got into it because our friend Holly works on it. Yeah. Um and. She was like, check this out and watched it and was like, okay, so I'm immediately hooked to this. You also were on my other favorite cartoon show, Archer, recently. Yes, yes. Uh, you, and, but you weren't, okay. So Archer's season premiere, they did kind of a Bob's Burgers yeah. crossover, but you weren't part of that. Right. There was, I don't know what the specific reason was. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think that it had to do with their budget or something okay. like that. Not to say that like... <laughs> The kids would have been like, we want $1 million. I think like for whatever reason, <laughs> the way it works is you can have X number of guest roles or something right. like that. I, I don't really know. I mean, I know Adam and I remember him telling me about it and him saying that like it was going to be John and John Roberts and, and, and John Benjamin. Obviously, John Benjamin, he's allowed to be in it because he's already <laughs> in it. Um, but uh, but he had always talked about wanting to put uh, me in it. So, yeah, it was really great. It was super fun to do. Yeah. And is, is it is part of the two-part season Yeah, finale? so there'll be, I guess, the next one this Thursday. So yeah, you- that show is super fun, and it was great to do. Adam's also, I went when I was in Atlanta, I did shows and stayed with him. And we went to a gun range that was right near the offices. That, that's like an art gallery gun range. And uh, did, Define? <laughs> it like near where they make Archer, like I don't know, like a, f- a few, like a hundred or five hundred feet away is a art gallery slash gun range. You pick what picture you want. Uh, to no, shoot there's. I, I mean, art gallery only in that there were so many paintings that I was like, this is kind of a gallery. But then you go into this room where you can shoot guns at a target. But uh, 
um, we shot several types of guns, and then at the end, I shot a machine gun. Oh, what was that like? Did it have a lot of kick? Or it was... did have a fair amount of kick. It turns out <laughs> when you shoot a lot of bullets like that, uh, I uh, I really I really shot the shit out of a target. Ooh, uh, how did it feel? And, it was it was a very nice time. Uh, there's a video. I think I put the video up of me on. Uh, I think online. If you look, go to whatever my YouTube page, you'll find a video of me shooting a machine gun and giggling. Um, so that was uh, that was. I think now it's really crowded there. I think this. I don't know if when it had opened. Anyway, that was a fun time, and Archer is a fun thing to have done. Yeah, Definitely, great. I was exposed to you because. You put out, obviously, a record on Sub Pop. Yes. And, you know, they'd put out David Cross, but not a lot mm-hmm. of comedy stuff at that point. I mean, and I, I know you go to a lot of shows and stuff. Is, are yeah. you a big music fan also? Do you, I mean, do you feel, how did that kind of relationship come about? That came about from, uh, what was it? Um, from me doing Tinkle, this show that Todd Berry, John Benjamin, and David Cross used to do at Pianos, and I did that a lot, and then Robin Taylor, who is currently my agent and books a lot of bands, she used to go to that, and I think at some point she, after like a little, like at some point she asked me if I wanted to open for the Shins at Bowery Ballroom, and I was like, yeah, that sounds great to me, and then I did that, and then she sort of was like, do you have a booking agent? And I was like, no, I, I don't have a booking agent, and so she became my agent, and so through her, I sort of got my first deal with Suicide Squeeze because she had sent like my website to uh, David, who ran that label. And then I'd sort of through David Cross, uh, a different sorry, a different David. <laughs> um, and then through David Cross, had met the people at Sub Pop over a period of years, and through Robin as well. And then so that kind of happened very naturally. Where I think at some point when I was thinking of putting out a second record, I had asked Sub Pop if they wanted to maybe do it. Because to me, like. Especially when Patton started doing, like, when they started touring at club shows as yeah. opposed to, like, go to this place and play 30 bucks and you have to buy two overpriced yeah, yeah. drinks. To me, that made comedy so much more accessible. Right. Yeah, well, yeah. And and I think that there was a lot of that. Like, me and Dimitri Martin and Leo uh, used to do that a lot. I think before, like, when we had just been, like, on, like, each on Conan once or something. <laughs> and, uh, and I used to do that with Stella uh, a long time ago open for them and yeah that i mean it's still sort of what i do where you know i i mostly play like seated place like you know uh music venues like bell house or in boston the paradise or you know whatever painting of you at bell house now there is an oil painting of me at my house uh that bell house and union hall they commissioned uh they were like we have a surprise for you and so i went and they gave me uh, as a thank you, this this amazing like real life like real life uh, I forget whatever the, I forget what the style is called, but super hyper realistic looking painting of me as like Napoleon or something. It was amazing. <laughs> it was like the sweetest thing uh, that somebody had done. Do you have it hanging up at your? Apartment? I have it hanging up in my living room, and it's clearly <laughs> unusual. Like when people come over, they're like, "Why is there this thing?" But then when I thought about it, I was like, "Oh, it's some that's something that people used to do 200 years ago." So I'm I'm just cl- like classic. I'm just like a classic uh, Very Renaissance. Yeah, I'm just a guy with a manor, and my manor happens to be a one and a half bedroom apartment. Yeah, that is a manor in New York City. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got a staircase. It's amazing. What? That's uh, not amazing, but it's it's lovely, and it has a painting of me. You're in the Park Slope. Area. I am. Yeah, yeah. Do you like it? I do. I like Park Slope. It's very, it's very nice. It's it's uh, peaceful, but then also you can go and do stuff. Now, you said you were in school. Um, 
Are you from Massachusetts? I am. I'm from outside Boston. I grew up okay. in Lexington, right. Mass. And then I went to Western Mass for school okay. and then moved back to Boston for a few years doing comedy do before remember, I came here. Do you remember that moment of, I did comedy, this is what I think I want to do? Like, was there I a- mean, definitely the first time I did it. Well, I think also there's a while where, you know, again, like everybody majors in whatever they major in and then end up doing whatever they end up doing, sort of. So... It didn't seem any less practical to major in comedy than it did to, say, major in English or whatever, or mm-hmm. history. Like, it, it felt just as reasonable as any of those. So I think that, you know, when I first graduated, and when I did that, that uh, when I did my final project at Hampshire, I sent press releases. I, like, didn't know what it meant totally, but I faxed from a computer, and I, like, was like, I hope this works. I had, like, fax software on my whatever Apple IIc, I don't know what it is, <laughs> but, like, and I faxed all the, like, all the papers of all the colleges, and then the one, like, the Hampshire Gazette or something in, in that area, like, the big paper, and to my total surprise, the Hampshire Gazette, like, sent a reporter and a photographer to my show, which was... Uh, in the dining commons of Hampshire College, uh, and full of people, like it was, it, it worked out. And then they did a story on it, and I just remember thinking, like, if you, so you can, I just was like, oh my god, did you know that you can fax something from your computer and people will write about you? Like that's, <laughs> like to me, I was like, who knew? I'm glad I tried that. <laughs> and so when I got to Boston, I used to constantly fax like the Boston Globe and the Boston Phoenix and the radio stations. And sometimes and eventually I remember it like slowly started to work where like I would get into random columns or like they like they would start writing stuff or listing things. And then sometimes I would send things that were like that were nonsense because I was like 23 or 24 and I was just like. I'm doing a benefit for hands with Aerosmith. And then people would just call me and be like, what are you talking about? And I was like, oh, I don't know. I thought it didn't matter what I said. And they're like, no, you can't. We won't write that you're doing a benefit for Aerosmith for hands. That's not a real thing. And I was like, okay, good to know. And they're from here. They might know. Yeah. Yes, they would. But but a lot of what I did there was... So, so in terms of like, I think I just did a lot of stuff very slowly where, you know, I used to hand out like a thousand flyers every day or every few days in Harvard Square for the comedy show that I was doing with friends. So you would just do this stuff. And I worked in an ice cream parlor and temp places. So I think when you're that age, you're just like, I don't know, I have a, my rent's $260 and, and, you know, all I need is like a hundred dollars. $12 a week or whatever it is, you know what I mean? And so I think it's not until later that you would consider, you'd be like, wait a second, I can't live on a futon on the ground. What am I doing? Yeah. So in that sense, I think it was just this sort of very slow, very steady, reasonable build. When you were a kid, was there a specific comic that turned you on to comedy or a style? There was. I loved Emo Phillips. Um, uh, He was just like, especially when there was like all this stand-up that was just sort of like, you know, broad relationship-y, sort of felt like it was insincere. There was Emo and he was this sort of amazing joke writer with these weird jokes and this odd persona. And I adored it. Then there was uh, Bobcat Goldthwaite. I loved his stuff. Steve Martin. Um, You know, I used to just watch like all the young comedian specials and watch so much stand up on TV. And I just remember thinking, I think probably when I was like, I think probably like 15, 16, starting to be like, wait, I think you can do like. I think I was like, I want to be a director. Like, I didn't know what, I thought that was the job you would have or something if you wanted to make comedy or whatever. And then I think, 
I was like, oh, wait, I think you can write. And then at some point I was like, wait, I think stand-up is a thing people do. And so I decided that I would try it and then just sort of kept trying it. I heard this interview with Bobcat recently where he was talking about opening for Nirvana. Yeah. Which, I mean, obviously it's kind of, that happens sort of more now, but that is so incredible to me. Yeah, he toured with Nirvana for a while. I mean, but the truth is, I think that sort of thing, you know, I think that that used to happen in like the 60s a lot. I mean, comedy clubs are really a thing of like sort of the late to mid 70s to like sort of the early 90s. I mean, in terms of their giganticness and being everywhere, there's certainly some now, but comedy used to happen a lot more in just sort of cabaret spaces or seated. Or less, or, right? Yeah. Well, or just <clears throat> like there'd, they'd be at wherever you would have shows, like, you know, wherever you would just, and, and same with sort of after, like as the collapse, because there used to be like, you know, I know in Boston there were probably like 20 or 30 or who knows how many comedy clubs in the 80s and then you just can't sustain that now there's probably three or something four maybe um so yeah i forget what the question was but yes <laughs> bob keckle did in fact tour with nirvana but people used to do that i think and continue to do you ever do like does more like go to the improv like eugene merman for five nights or do you prefer to do the more like you know, I prefer type. to do, yeah, like Bellhouse or something. Yeah. I mean, you know, I will say that I did the improv in L.A., you know, a few months ago, and that was really, really fun. That was great. The thing about comedy clubs that's that I don't like is that you do, like, two shows Friday, Saturday. And for it's one thing to do sort of the same act, I think, like, on different days. But I think when you do it twice in a row for me, it's... Um, I don't know, there's there's something where it just feels like that much less. It's already a lie. Like, stand-up comedy is already a really great lie. But when you do it twice in a row, you're like, I'm a double liar. <laughs> um, and it's also, like, you know, tiring where, like, in, you know, whatever it is, three or four days you're doing six shows where you could just go to a place like Bellhouse or The Paradise and you would basically make two-thirds of the money or so that you would in one show that you would from five shows. Right. So, uh, I mean, the advantage of comedy clubs is that people who don't necessarily know you might be there. The disadvantage is also the same, where they would show up and be like, you're terrible and weird. (laughs) And I'd be like, sorry, I was trying to, I'm trying, I think this is comedy. And some some agree. I, I saw you, the first time I saw you perform was at a very very weird venue and i can't even remember where it was i think it was on 10th street over in the east village 11th street rafifi no wasn't rafifi i know you did a lot of stuff there but it was a um midnight pajama jam oh yeah 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 yes with benjamin and with glazer glazer and it was (laughs) oh um, yeah i probably was like yeah who knows what we did but yeah well there were two people in the audience and i was one of them yes and it was on at midnight and I think there was like some touristy folks there who bolted and leaving the two of us. But you guys did the whole show. It was a talk show format with John Benjamin as the host. And then Glazer came out as two puppets. Yeah. Um, Itchy and Scott Fowler's, I think, were the yeah. names. And you were the guest. Yeah. It was phenomenal. But the thing was, it was about 90 minutes, but it went. And there, it was me and this guy, David. We were the only people in the crowd watching. Right. There's a chance there were people in back, like meaning three. Like, okay, good. Like, uh, yeah. But yes, that show was so fun to do. It was so great. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, we used... That's so funny. That was a great show that Benjamin and Glazer did. And then, you know, they would have random people do weird bits as guests. I think you danced. I easily might have danced. I might have <laughs> pretended to be in a band with Dick Cheney. I can't, cannot remember. 
Um, I can't remember the bits we used to do, but it was all just like weird, dumb things. And then we would just do it for 20 minutes. Is that, is that how you got involved with the located? Um, I mean, I think in general, the New York comedy scene is reasonably small. So like, uh, I think when Glazer came up with delocated, he asked me, I mean, there, he was just shooting this five minute thing and then asked me to, you know, be in it and murder Paul Rudd in this, you know, short, short thing and then when that when it went forward and got picked up he was like do you want to be in this thing um i forget exactly how i met glazer but certainly those shows i think in general you just like luna lounge or also the show that i rafifi invite them up uh that we did i think that everybody would just do each other's shows and hang out um seems a very inclusive group yeah i mean i i think i think it is i think in general you know there are so many I find the comedy scene in New York to be warm and that like, I meaning like, I think a lot of people think of comedy as competitive or something. And I just, I think that that's not accurate. Cause I think if you, uh, make people laugh, then everything's fine. <laughs> like meaning if you get on stage and make people laugh, people will ask you to make people laugh on stage. How did, how did your comedy festival start? Um, as a joke, uh, <laughs> <laughs> after a show at union hall i forget what i forget what was in town but there was some reason that i made a joke to mike berbigley and julie smith who produces it um and used to run that show and i i for some reason was like i'm gonna do the eugene merman comedy festival and and then i was like i'm really not going to do that because that would be crazy and uh <laughs> weird and then they both laughed we're like no you have to do that and so, and at first I was like, well, maybe it would be Eugene and someone else. And they're like, no, the funniest version of it is that you're doing your own comedy <laughs> festival. And so me and Julie and Caroline started, you know, figuring out the first one. And Bell House was just opening. I think we were basically the first set of shows they did there. And then, uh, you know, then we had a lot of fun and kept doing it basically. And now, you know, we did it in Seattle. I think we're going to do one in, we're going to do it in Boston at the end of June. Um, we're going to do a Eugene Merman comedy festival and, you know, then we'll do one here. But again, it's like still, you're talking about like two or three venues or two venues basically. And like uh, five shows or something, but it is a really fun thing to do. And it's fun to do these ridiculous, you know, like we did a show, called and i think that we'll probably do it in boston one of each where we had one of each type of like ethnicity or like representation like like one uh you know one person who's gay one person who's black one person who's jewish because uh, there's so many festivals have so many shows that like ghettoize people and so we thought it'd be really funny to have a show that like ghettoized one of each type of person we could the united get. colors of benetton yeah exactly festival. as a show <laughs> um that's smart yes yeah, so that's so the festival started as a joke and it you know and then like i think one year i think the second year julie's now husband i think was like you should do a pig roast and i was like i wonder if we can do that like can you do that because it's right outside bell house and it turns out yes it turns out you totally can. So the first year we had a pig roast, and then every year after that we would have different animals that we would roast outside on the last night and then just give away the food uh, for free. It was really fun and a tradition that's continued. So did you have to pick out a new animal each year? Yeah, one year, maybe two or three years ago, we did a thing where uh, on Saturday we had a petting zoo, and then the following night we cooked each one of those types of animals. So we had, like, you know, ducks and goats and whatever it was at the... At the petting zoo, and then the next night we served like you know rabbit salad and whatever else. Uh, so the people really you know felt close to their food. It was actually a it's a it was like 
pet petting zoo to table. I don't know how it. <laughs> Uh, the term proper term you is should know what you're eating and where it yeah from. it wasn't the same act literal like we didn't murder a petting zoo that petting zoo gets to be wherever it is sad and weird <laughs> and uh we Tours, we bought yeah tour. exactly we got fresh you know humane animals uh from from some wonderful place <laughs> probably probably meat hook I think it was the- <laughs> you used to do um, tell a story about this problem you had with an airline and you wrote yes. up these letters and I was wondering was there ever any kind of apology I wonder I was wondering I wanted some kind of closure um yes well the, the airline was Delta okay um no D- Delta Airlines I mean what I did is I wrote them a letter and then what I did to really try to get their attention is that I made up something like 20 something thousand postcards and when I was t- you know, I did this for probably the bit for like a year or so, but when I was touring with Concords in ve- like, you know, probably four to 8,000 seat venues, I would hand out like a thousand or 2,000 cards or whatever. And so I had handed out a lot of cards. I, I don't think necessarily tons got mailed, but I feel like several hundred did. And they were postcards where I wrote a thing from the point of view of a fan sending a letter to Delta Airlines telling them that they were horrible. And, um, I never heard from Delta. They at some point did a comedy issue for Sky Miles and asked if they could interview me. And I was like, oh, this is going to be where like they mention it. Right. And no, they just were just like, how'd you get your start? And then they were like, uh, you're a hot Twitterer. <laughs> I was like, great. Uh, so they never responded. They, I think they were just like, it will be more news if they respond than, or I don't know, or they, I think actually they were just so gigantic it never reached them, to be honest. Um, on the other hand, Time Warner, who I took out a full page ad in the New York Press and Greenpoint Gazette, uh, with an, a letter to Time Warner, they absolutely responded on their official blog. And like, I know that it like reached up to the top. Like that they had like a discussion of like, oh, there's a person and he took out, he bought an ad to tell us we're terrible, you know, and their response was like, we'll try to be better. They are, it's funny, uh, they're just, like I have like the, the, whatever their box is, like their DVR, it just, my, it works so badly. I don't know what to do, but there's no, um, there's no one else that I could get and I need, you know, certainly internet. Um, I'm just waiting for Verizon to come to where I am, but it's, they're so frustrating to use, but I am like, if I call them, they're like, they'll respond right away and be like, here's another broken thing. Is that helpful? And I'm like, sure. Um, you know, they, when they, I moved to Jersey, that was half the reason I was like, there fi- there's Fios here. Yeah. We're, we're in sold. Yeah. What well, they also did a thing where, uh, they used to charge me for like two, I don't know, wireless routers or something like that. And I called and I was like, I don't have, I have one, like I have only one. And they were like, oh, okay, we'll take it off. And then like a few years later, I was like, I realized like it was still there. And they were like, oh, okay, we'll give you your money back, but we can't give it all back because we can only refund up to, and I was just like, you people are just exhaustingly terrible. Like this was after the letter where they're like, we'll give you half your money back. Um, I mean, it wasn't, it was just more that they're just so, just what a terrible well, company. And it's crazy that 2013 with the technology that we yeah. have at our fingertips, that that's like the gatekeeper. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I know. But I'm sure that soon they'll be defeated or we'll have broadband for free across this nation. That would be wonderful. <laughs> yeah, that'll be, a, <laughs> that'll be something that. that I'm sure companies won't try to prevent. No. Um, or charge you for. <laughs> so anyway. I remember when I was, when... 
living in California, Net Zero came out. And I was like, oh, yeah. And it was literally nothing. You know, you bought a disc you know, mm-hmm. would get for free. You bought it. You do what I did, just take it from Radio Shack very quickly. And then, boom, free internet. You know, it was slow as hell, but it was free. It was right, like, right. Being a broke dummy in my 20s, I was like, ah. Oh, yeah, exactly. Fucking the system. Yeah, I remember <clears throat> dialing up. That was a good time. Yeah. I have a friend who works for AOL, and like every time I see her, I make a joke about like installation discs, and she's like, dude, we haven't made those in 10 years. Like those jokes are so not funny. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, they're probably, they now are like a content thing. Yeah, they're like Huffington Post. and like, Yeah, they're, yeah. They, they're, they've adapted. So, I mean, they're, you know, they're, they're Netscape. They know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. Netscape. I remember I was with Earthlink forever, and then I found out that the guy who ran Earthlink is like this, uh, like serious Scientologist, mm-hmm. and it was one of those weird, like uh, America, religious freedom. Well, then I'm free to feel weird about that and not use their service, right? But then, just so you know, you're about to get a call from the Scientology people, being like, "We'd really rather you weren't disparaging about uh, our gods. <laughs> they will be coming." And now I'm going to get the same goddamn weird call. We just want to sit you down in a weird <laughs> glass box with holes in it and tell you secrets i guess i don't know a lot about their religion but i feel comfortable (laughs) making fun of it i think that it's okay to make fun of religions if those religions are silly and that you know could be all of them however you however you (laughs) interpret that i'm comfortable with when you write a joke do you ever have that um feeling of uh who is who will this offend will i get backlash from it um I think that it depends. Um, no, not particularly. I think it. I think like on stage, it's mostly whether it makes people laugh or not. And I find with me certain things, like if what I say seems like a little too harsh in a particular way, that people just like uh, don't laugh because it somehow grates against what they think of as my character or something. Mm-hmm. Um, or meaning like, or by personality or whatever it is. But, um, uh, yeah. So, so I don't know. I don't necessarily go like, oh, I can't say that. It'll offend people. I think I would think like, oh, I, that doesn't like, I remember, I think at some point there's a comic, Brian Kylie having some sort of joke that he thought of that was really funny, but his persona is so sweet that he was like, I can't do this joke. And like gave it to someone whose, you know, persona was much more edgy. Um, so you, that's a thing. Do you do a lot of international shows? Do you find the crowds super different? I don't find them super different. I think there's just some things that, you know, definitely translate and others that don't. And and it's funny what those things are because they're often just something that you're conveying, like, the emotional connection with whatever it is. Like, I remember you, I used to have a joke about Jack in the Box, uh, like the whatever restaurant place, and it completely worked in the UK, even though they don't have that. And then I had another thing that was, like, about sort of... I remember, like, Democrats and Republicans and something. And, like, part of it totally worked, but then part of it didn't because they just had... Uh, they didn't have the same kind of association emotionally. So it was, I was just sort of surprised where I was like, clearly they know what that is. Our politics are everyone's politics. But weirdly, a joke about a restaurant they don't have completely connected while something else didn't. Um, but I find, in general, the audiences are basically the same. There's sort of, like, an East Village everywhere. Like, there's... <laughs> There's sort of like wh- whoever it is that would go to whatever uh, are sort of the same in a lot of places. I heard recently that if you if comedians do a show in, I want to say the UK, that like heckling is more part yeah. of the show. Heckling is, but it also depends. Like I did a run um, 
of like sort of the show that we would do at Union Hall. We did it maybe two years ago or so at the Soho Theater in London. And it was me, Kurt Braunohler, um, John Benjamin did a bunch of them. Nathan Fielder did stuff with him. And, uh, you know, there, at that show, people never really heckled. But in general, yeah, in, the UK has a chattier... Uh, th- that's part of like the, the depending on the setting that's part of sort of the the tone of their comedy huh. um, but sometimes you can be like don't do that <laughs> you know and people won't i think but yeah they're the heckling here is often like drunk lunatics and heckling there is sometimes reasonable how like how how long will you kind of let it go before you're just like i have to say something or i hope someone says something you would, I mean, it depends if it's someone actually heckling. Most heckling is really just people who are very drunk talking loudly. Right. And that you can sort of let, depending on how close they are to you, like if they're in the front, like it, it becomes, you, you can't think like if, if you start talking right now, it will be hard for me to talk. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so, so some heckling <laughs> is just drunk people having a conversation is being like, Richard said this weird thing to me. What do you think of that? And it's like, uh, you have to stop talking about Richard right now. Um, sometimes it's people who are, I mean, it, so obviously sometimes it is people who want attention or whatever. Uh, I mean, I remember when I was, when I did shows in Atlanta, there was a guy who got thrown out because he was, he was so drunk that he was mumbling, but he was also slouched. He was slouched in such a way it looked like he was uh, drunkenly telling secrets to his own dick. <laughs> like he was just like kind of <laughs> loud enough that I could hear him. And then, it was the it was really funny almost, but he had to be thrown out because he was loudly talking to his dick basically uh, from just the way he was slumped. Uh, but you can't perform because it's there's there's someone else talking loudly and and they don't know to stop because they're drunk and they either I mean I think it, at some point they think they're helpful, but at another point they're just they don't even know what they're doing. Because um, they have a hard life and they started drinking at four, <laughs> and then and then come eight thirty, uh oh, <laughs> you know. So I noticed that um, spinning back to the voiceover that Archer has been doing a number of live shows. Yeah, yeah, I, they have. Talk about Bob's Burgers doing that. Yeah, there is. We're going to do a West Coast tour uh, from I believe May sixth to the. 11th or 12th uh sort of portland to san diego or actually san diego to portland what's the thought process behind that i mean would you do you have to stick to script or are you going to be allowed what, some leeway or well the th- i mean the way the show is going to work is that we're going to probably do we did it we've done a few of these at very either festivals or we did one like at a uh, in madison um and i think the way the show will work is that the uh we're gonna the five of us are going to do stand up and then we're going to read, you know, somewhere between a third to two thirds of a script. And then we'll probably do a short Q&A. Okay. Um, so with it running behind with, with the animation running behind. No, no, no. Oh, no. When you no, we'll just do a table read we'll, we'll, where we'll read a script live okay. and probably one that hasn't aired, though, though. I don't know. I think that's being figured out. I think that because of the way it's happening, it's it's hard to figure out how we'll perform you know we have to have a script that's not that many extra people um or you know to to be able to just perform it because it's we can't bring out like people with three lines you said you record it when you do the show you all have isdn lines and you mm-hmm. have your headphones on all that so kevin klein is a character on the show yeah you know, mr fish does he involve does he do that as well 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, when he's free, he's certainly in the studio with us. Yeah. Uh, sometimes he'll have to come in to record on his own, but mm-hmm. he definitely, yeah, he comes by. I mean, I think he's on it because he like uh, really liked home movies and likes, uh, you know, a lot of the sort of New York comedy scene. That's and, just cool. Yeah. No, it's pretty awesome. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's amazing. I mean, uh, yeah, he he comes in and records with us, and then and then we'll be like, How? like it was just. I think the first time. That he came in, he was just sort of like, so what do you guys do to get re- like get into character? And I was like, I don't know. I think we just start, we're just, <laughs> this is us. Like, this is what we do. And then, because he's like a real actor with like training and he can act like, uh, and be different people. <laughs> and we're all basically, except for John Roberts, using our real voices. Mm-hmm. I mean, I yell more than I would in real life. Yeah. As you can tell. Yeah. <laughs> so it'd be funny if the whole time I was like, I started in comedy. <laughs> Then you're like, wrap it up, Gene. <laughs> well, even the voice in, in Lucy Dart of the Devil, you know. Well, that was me screaming. Yes. I mean, but that was also developed. <laughs> I mean, but also the way this and that worked was Lauren first casting everybody and being like, I mean, the nun might have sounded like this. And then he's like, let's try other things. And I was like, how's that? Yeah. And he's like, perfect. That's a great nun. You're like, um, why did I pick screaming again? I know. And then you get tired. Yeah. And then you're like, I guess I have to scream everything. So that table read for Bob's yeah. a little more yelly. Yeah, I'll tone it down on the yelling, maybe a little. <laughs> eh, maybe it's just half yelling. <laughs> what uh, what kind of music are you listening to right now? Because when I when Stephen said you're when we booked you, I was like, I bet you, Eugene knows about some cool indie band in Brooklyn. That, I think like... that's what everyone thinks, and that's what I would like everyone to think. <laughs> um, I just downloaded, and I don't know the names of anything, but I just downloaded because NPR had this thing of a hundred songs from South by Southwest. Okay, uh, and I don't know the name of anything, but I've been trying listening to that, being like, "Oh, some of this is great." Um, I forget what I. Well, I really love Yola Tango's new record, um, Langhorn Slim, who I toured with. His new record is great. Um, there's probably lots of other stuff that I'm blanking on. It's a rough question. Yeah. It is. Well, it's I also know. like, I, it I mean, also too. for me, like, I literally bought, like, Coney Island Baby by Lou Reed a few months ago and was like, this is great. So, you know, a lot of that, a lot of Rick Nelson. <laughs> but I feel like, I don't know, people, uh, maybe no, nobody here is, has Rick Nelson. Why don't you go get a nice Rick Nelson Greatest yeah. Hits record and start there and be yeah. like, oh, country, 50s country. This is a yeah. good time, 70s country. When you're just kind of like commuting or whatever, do you mostly listen to music or podcasts or comedy uh, or all of it? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll sometimes listen to. Uh, it's kind of nice because for me, like some of it, like is people I know. So like listening to like what the fuck, um, or uh, listening to like uh, you made it weird. You know, those are really kind of great because they're just like charming conversations between. You know, sometimes people I don't know, but then sometimes people I know. And that's really nice. So I listen to those. Um, and then lots of music. And then often, like, just random, you know, like, Phil Oaks or something. Like, I feel like yeah. I, you know, I listen to a lot of the music I liked in college. And then, you know, some music that I've found since. But a lot of it is random combinations of 80s and 90s alternative and, like, classic rock or whatever. Or then, like discovering like oh what do you know i like merle haggard (laughs) so like i recently like bought a bunch of merle haggard cds but but i but i don't know that anyone in brooklyn like what are you listening to merle haggard (laughs) 
Is that is that good? What was it like? Did you hear that? You made it weird when John Glazer was on at the SF Sketch Fest. No, that was a really interesting episode. I have not heard it, should, but I'm, I'm, I'm hoping they made it weird. They made it so weird. Oh, good. Yeah. That dude. I mean, just yeah. He'll go there and I'll love it. Yeah. Him on yeah. Parks and Rec. He's been killing me. It's just so perfect. Um, I'm gonna rip off Jonah's question because I get, I love doing it. The comedy versus music question because you opening for bands yeah so as a comedian you're opening for someone who just want to hear the record but if you're a comedian people don't want to hear the record right you know <laughs> yes if you're that's what yeah if you're a comedian when you put out a record you have to write a new hour to tour with yeah and then for yeah and then bands they can play that record and really people don't even want to hear that record they want to hear the records before and before mm-hmm. that Everyone thinks they don't like the last record until the next record comes out. And then they realize that they love the last record. Exactly. People are monsters. That's why I always liked Guided by Voices, because they made their concerts work. Yeah. We're going to play our most recent record all the way through. Right. And then the hits. So if you want to hear them, better hang out. Right, right. And we're they do- also would put out, you know, seven records a year or whatever <laughs> yes. they did. Five last year. I, st- I was like, God, yeah, yeah. you did it again. Five <laughs> records after they after what they broke up four years ago. Yeah. <laughs> but then I'm sure people come up to you after shows and are like, oh man, I wish you had done this bit off the record. And like, I feel like a it's hard to bit, please. But I think that, no, mostly people want to hear, I mostly try to do stuff that I think people won't have heard. Right. Um, and then I will do a little bit like, you know, I just did a show in Toronto and I did probably a few jokes from my special one thing from a thing before that, and then mostly new stuff. Because on the other hand, you you know, if you're in a city that you don't go to a lot, there's a good chance people maybe haven't heard it necessarily. But I try to make it like, you know, 80 to 90% new stuff. But people don't, uh, people rarely come up to comics and go, I wish you did a thing I already heard. They mostly will be like, especially when you do random shows in New York, sometimes people will be like, I saw you do the, it's that joke you know at this place and then two weeks later at another place and you're like that is how you fix and write jokes like yeah that's what i do um but i'm not going to travel to another city (laughs) to to try seven minutes of kick-ass comedy do you run into that problem that a lot of comedians are running into now where you're trying stuff out with uh you know everyone's got their pocket home studio phone machine um i think that people are reasonably uh uh, kind and, and, and generally, I mean, if I see someone taping, I'll be like, uh, don't. Or I'll <laughs> say, like, uh, don't put it online. You know, like recently I did a bit with, like, people's friends on stage. And I was like, you can totally tape me with your friends, but just, like, don't put it on the internet. because So that so that it can be a thing I can do in another place and no one will have seen it. I mean, that's mostly it. Most of it is uh, where you just want it to be new to an audience and for them to not have heard it. So Though just- I understand... Uh, but yeah, so I don't like it when obviously people tape me trying stuff out. You're just hoping that the audience is doing the honor system like school. Y- yeah, I mean, well, that's all you can. I mean, I mean, if you see someone holding a camera, I guess you can be like, please don't. Or you can say, like, please don't put this online. But I think that most of the audiences coming to a lot of these sort of shows kind of know that now. I mean, in most venues are like, you're not allowed to tape, though. Clearly, everyone's phone is There's, a recorder now. Is it cool if we put this conversation online? It would be funny if I was like... <laughs> Please do not share. <laughs> I was not aware that you were going to share this with anyone beyond your immediate friends and family <laughs> in your homes. Um, yeah, I think people are basically mostly nice yeah. about it. But yeah, some people are monsters. Something will ruin your bits. Those people. 
Those bit only, ruiners. If only we didn't even need them. Yeah. Uh, if only and we didn't. I made that whole word up. So there was something online yesterday. Mm-hmm. So it must be true. Yeah. At a, at a yeah, yeah, yeah show, they put up a sign saying, yeah. please do not watch this show through a screen. Did you see that? Yeah, I did see that. Yeah. That seemed great. And I think a lot of people were like, yeah, mm-hmm. don't watch it through a screen. Cut it out. Yeah, stop it. Just watch us. Yeah. Um, I think they were also like, you can take pictures for the first, you know, what they, what you would tell actually photographers coming to a thing where take pictures during the first three songs or the first 10 minutes of a show and then, uh, don't, yeah. you know? And yeah, I think that that, uh, that makes sense. I mean, I think at comedy shows also you have different people coming on stage and people sometimes want photos of, you know, various people. If you're a band playing for an hour and a half, it's mm-hmm. a little different. Um, but yeah. I think it's like a generational thing too. Like when I see people like holding up iPads at shows, I feel yeah. like, and I'm always like, man, I would never even like think that was an option of something I could do. Well, you can now also, I mean, theoretically, I mean, it'd be one thing if someone wanted to, I get if you wanted to like record either someone stand up or uh, music or whatever. Like, I mean, when I was a kid, I would definitely bring like tape recorders and things and record concerts, but I would just listen to them. I wasn't like burning cds and selling them <laughs> right. uh or putting them on the internet and i think some artists don't mind it i think a lot of artists i think it's like you can't do a board like try not to make board recordings available mm-hmm. but you know feel free to record it and share it um i guess it just depends what you do or what what people do yeah a lot of artists um, are like that i know metallica was like that and i mean the grateful dead kind of pioneered that with the yeah. tape they would you know, you'd have this it was one specific area that you can put your mics up and you do your thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I totally get why anyone would want to tape shows. And I certainly, when I was in college and stuff, taped shows to listen to. Um, I mean, also, there wasn't an internet where you could just, like, search for almost any band you like and find 50 concerts. Totally. Well, I feel know? like I'm a huge hypocrite when it comes to it. Because if someone holds up their phone in front of me, I get annoyed. But then I'll want to watch it later. And I'll totally yeah. watch their video and enjoy it. But then when they're doing it, I'm like, oh, this person. Like, right, right. Yes, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you don't want to look at a sea of people, uh, but you can also audio record music, <laughs> which is, which you could probably get a nice little mic for your iPhone, and uh, as long as you don't put it on the internet, I think, and you just quietly masturbate to <laughs> your favorite comedy or music, I think and it's so nice. Is that how you listen to music, quietly yeah. masturbating? I, I, that's what I, no, but it is what I recommend oh, okay. or ask of uh, your listeners. <laughs> Comedy, put on, put com- on just like uh, their favorite Phil Oaks record. We need new business cards. That would work out actually in the back. Podcast to masturbate to. Yeah, the podcast. Yeah, Boom. to quietly masturbate to. Quietly, <laughs> so that there's just like a sort of elegance to it. Not a, not a loud, angry. No, yeah, no. some dignity. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Dignified. Yeah. Well, yeah. I also offer uh, awkward branding services. If anybody <laughs> is looking for that, if you want me to turn your company into a sort of weirdly sexual. So it's slightly unnerving company. Please call me for $85,000. I will turn your toothpaste. How much of uh, Bob's Burgers is scripted? How much is um, ad-libbed? Um, a lot of it is scripted. And then when we're all together, we often then have a chance to do a bunch of improv. But also the writers in L.A. are, you know, at the same... T- like, we'll do a few takes and then the writers will suggest alts for various things. And then we'll also come up with alts for various things. And so it, uh, you know, it's hard, it's hard to say, um, but, but, but we do get to play around a lot. And then sometimes I'll only like, you'll, I'll watch a scene and be like, oh, that was like 70% scripted. And then this other part, we just totally went off and it's kind of neat to see that. 
It's a fun show, man. It's like it's like not yeah. since The Simpsons has there been a show that's like that funny and touching. Yeah, they also the thing that's also pretty awesome is uh, the writers of. I mean, a lot of it is we've come together where like the writers have very much started writing to us in certain ways. Where like I'll see a thing and be like, I can't remember if that was improvised or written, and then I'll be like, Oh my god, that was written. That was like written and the way like almost the idea that I would have come up with if I was just sort of improvising so it's kind of interesting seeing it all sort of work out and flow together forgive me if I ask before I can't remember but is Archer recorded the same way no Archer is individual okay got it um and then cut together so Archer is also I think not improvised I mean Adam Reed writes a super super tight uh script uh that's super funny yeah so you weren't in the room with John Hamm is what I'm getting at uh, for oh for Archer no but for Bob's yes yeah like when we did when I did the thing where I fall in love with the toilet mm-hmm. me and John recorded in a studio together um, that was really fun God, that episode was um, and then yeah with with Archer no I mean you're just basically Adam is uh, you're wearing headphones on an ISDN line and he's in Atlanta mm-hmm. giving you feedback and uh, you're reading lines and he's just sort of giving you idea of how to do it. Speaking of a kind of ISDN, like you talked about the faxing stuff in Boston and then obviously Twitter has mm-hmm. been a big thing. I mean, do you like kind of embracing these kind of new forms of technology and kind of using them for comedy or is it just like a natural thing or? Yeah, I mean, it, uh, yeah, each thing is sort of helpful. I mean, I, you know, I think before YouTube, I had lots of videos that I'd put up on my website. They were admittedly like one inch by one inch because <laughs> people were dialing up and I was like, it can't be more than a megabyte. <laughs> uh, and so there are these weird, tidy things. Uh, but yeah, I think that, I mean, it's funny to think that, that at one, I mean, I was like handing out flyers and, you know, faxing places. Cause that was the only way the, you know, one of the things that helped invite them up, become more popular was when Friendster was invented and you could like post because before it was like, you know, sometimes you'd have like, say David Cross was doing our show, you know, you could tell a few friends, especially if it was like he was, you know, was going to do it that not like you know agreed like four hours beforehand or something or said that he wanted to drop by but there was no way to tell people until friendster and then you could post a bulletin and they could and then the word could actually spread um if you had like somebody who would you know people potentially wanted to see but yeah you used to just hand out flyers or facts you know weird newspapers and stuff or do radio i guess i mean all that stuff is still helpful i mean my sort of opinion of any of that especially if you were just starting out would be that you should just do everything you should do all the things you can do and then three of them or two of them might work out and then pick four new things and then try those and then just keep doing that until you're effective and now it seems there's so much you can do to promote yourself that you could just do that you know, like like it's like you're going to be promoting everything you're doing and not have enough time to do the work when you're doing the Twitter, the Tumblr, the Facebook. The- right. You, ha- I mean, the very first thing you have to do is put on like a fun thing, yeah. you know, and, and I think a lot of people do that. I mean, if you have like, you know, there's Cabin, I think, is a show in the city that's really fun that a lot of people like. And, um, you know, there, there's there's lots of shows that are very fun and people know about it. And then, you know, after that, you should promote it. You shouldn't first promote a thing. Mm-hmm. And then people get there and like, this is very sad here. <laughs> <laughs> but we had a lot of people, a lot of yeah. hits. Yeah, a lot. Yeah, exactly. A lot of retweets on our sad thing. <laughs> I mean, I mean, and also Twitter is like, in, when I say for promotion, I mean, like, you should mostly write, if you're a comic, mostly write jokes on Twitter and then occasionally list information or, you know, tweet things about shows. Because I think you can't, like, you can't just all be, uh, you know, I don't know, deals on 
new records or whatever. You probably get this question a lot. Do you then feel comfortable using the, the tweet joke in your act, or do you feel like that's been seen and read? What do you mean, like, being like, this is a joke from Twitter? Yeah, like, or not, well, even more like, 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 you wrote a joke, you put it on Twitter, it's 140 characters, it's a good line, and then you put it I in I find your that act. a lot of, I mean, for me, a lot of the stuff that works on Twitter isn't necessarily uh, what works on um, uh, what's it called uh, uh, stand-up. Mm-hmm. Um, so sorry. Uh, well, I was thinking about it because I, when I when I originally was doing my theremin bit that was in the last special, I I think at first I'd started it where I would read tweets and play the theremin. Um, and I forget if I think that isn't. I think eventually it was just sort of jokes. Um, but no, I wouldn't feel bad about it. I mean, if it if it happened to work on stage, I would be more than happy because Twitter is so disposable. I don't think anybody's gonna like look and go like. You know, I saw that you actually tweeted that in 2010, and I kind of feel cheated that you turned it into a wonderful anecdote. <laughs> um, but but also, so much of it is like of the moment, where it's like, am I really going to tell a joke about Margaret Thatcher in four weeks? You know, I mean, maybe if it was a great, if it was really great, but not, you know, most of that stuff is sort of disposable. Did you ever see that theremin documentary? Uh, no, some of it, but no, yeah. I haven't seen the whole thing. I've seen it's like a clips. Deceptive instrument. Yeah. People don't realize how old that it is. Yeah, it's very old and very magic. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I hope that's what the documentary is called. Very old and very magic. Yeah. The Eugene Merman story. That'll be when I'm 92. For fans of Eugene Merman, you know him from Bob's Burgers. You know, also know his comedy, his uh, most recent record, An Evening of Comedy in a Fake Underground Laboratory. He was on Archer, which is probably my favorite show oh, right now. I love Archer. I have not seen Archer. I need to do it. You, all the seasons are good. It's They're just genius. You'll love it. Put together well, recorded well, just so, so Did soft. you watch Risky Dingo? No. Oh, my God. No, you got to watch Risky Dingo. I mean, I've you run out of Archers, of watch Risky Dingo, because it's like the same thing. I always yeah. confuse Archer with that TV series with Ted Danson. Becker? Becker, Yeah. <laughs> Because that completely makes sense. <laughs> it's like, you know how, like, sometimes your brain gets, like, crossed wires? And, like, one thing and another thing that aren't anything alike get confused? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's maybe a, that's just me. That's a fun <laughs> world to be in. You know that show, Becker, about the secret agent? It's animated. <laughs> John Benjamin does the voice. Sure. You mean the what? show with Ted Danson? No, I'm pretty sure it's not Ted Danson. <laughs> what was the plot of Becker? He worked at a, he was always at a bar or something. If you really must know, <laughs> I do. I really, I legitimately want to know. He now. was he was a doctor who smoked. Who was really angry. He was it was he was basically House, but with a three camera sitcom. Okay, so who was? Which was the show where he was like at an airport in? Alaska or somewhere. Is that Ted Danson or is that somebody else? See, he has crossed wires too. It's Are you not just wings me. with Steven Weber? Was that like at a small airport? That yeah. was, was a co- yes. sitcom? Yes. Yeah. But that was in Alaska. That was Who in, was um, the star? I thought that it was, was in somebody... Nantucket. Yeah, the star was um Steven Weber. Steven Weber, yeah. yeah. Who's Steven Weber? Yeah, I Exactly. But he's really Who was the other I thought the other Oh, and what's his name was on it? Um There was nobody from Who was in Sideways? Uh, oh, um, there was nobody from Cheers on that show. Nobody from Cheers on that show. My wires have Thomas all been Hayden crossed. Church. Thomas Hayden Church. You know when all there. your wires are completely crossed, so that you actually can't make any connections that are useful. Yes. <laughs> Luckily, there's a website for you to go to: goingofftrack.com. <laughs> Hit donate to hear more discussions about sitcoms versus animation. Oh, and uh, 
If you get excited, you can leave a positive rating on our iTunes page. Oh, yeah. My friend Mike recently left one that was very nice. Oh, it's very cool. And, uh, yeah, especially if you don't know us, that's even awesomer. Yeah, we, so, like, we like the reviews of people who've never met us. Yes, but oh. if you know us, that's cool, too. Don't discount the fact that we're friends. Yeah, don't ever discount that. And uh, what do we miss? Facebook? Oh, yeah, Facebook, you can you can email us there. We don't do comments on the website. You all know why. They're yucky. And don't be yucky. And if you are, sign your name. And oh, your that can number. be like our phrase, like Google. Like, don't be evil. We can be don't be yucky. Don't be yucky. Hi, this is Going Off Track. Don't be yucky. Yeah! Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.